This is the time of year that Christians celebrate the incarnation of Christ. But is the incarnation just something unrepeatable in history that we look back on, or is it something that we're meant to model as Christians and as missionaries? We'll explore this exciting topic in today's Christmas edition of the Missions Podcast. But first, let me tell you about Daniel. Daniel fled his home in Peru when he was 12 years old after his drunken father threatened to kill him. Daniel became an alcoholic like his father. One day, he ended up at a local church. But as a Roman Catholic from his upbringing, Daniel resisted the evangelical gospel that he heard and vowed to disprove Christianity itself. Well, that didn't last long. Daniel was converted and he developed a passion to share the gospel with the lost. That's when ABWE missionary Steve Douglas noticed and began discipling him for nine years. Today, Daniel has founded a seminary in his city of Arequipa, and he's planted 15 churches of his own. Daniel's special, but he's not unique. We're finding partners like these all over the world. And in this changing global climate, we can continue to do greater things for the Great Commission by partnering with people on the field, already risking all to make disciples. Your gift to the Global Gospel Fund can impact a thousand missionaries working in more than 70 nations. Become a partner now. Go to abwe.org slash globalgospelfund20. That's abwe.org slash globalgospelfund20. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Advancement for ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford out on the West Coast, lead church planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Actually, I believe that at the time we put this episode out, Christmas will be in the rearview mirror, but until then, right now, I don't know if you can hear the the popping of the wick in the background there, but uh, I've got my little candle here. Let's see what kind of candle this is. It's it's burning. It's filling my recording room here with some fragrance. Uh, we have a gingerbread garden light handmade grass-fed oh, wow. tallow local beeswax candle um, bringing in the holiday cheer. Um, if I don't that know tallow, tallow was it grass-fed, I think we'd have a problem. But since it since the it, it, since the tallow came from grass-fed beef, I think it's probably a, an amazing candle. It's it, yeah, beef wax. Actually, I think it's grass <laughs> grass fed beef wax. Well, the tallow comes um, from the beef, and the wax comes from the bees. Wow! I mean, the worst just, thing is, is when you have gingerbread that is made with you know inorganically fed tallow. Gosh, that's just the worst. Yeah. Um, so yes. we're we're ringing in the holiday season, Scott. And um, I don't know. I used to be of the opinion that, that I, I used to be somebody who Thanksgiving was his favorite holiday. And I've changed over the last few years. Christmas is awesome. Um, yes. People complain about the consumerism, even in the, the missions world. You know, there's there's a lot of um, griping about the consumerism of Christmas. And fine, maybe that's all well earned, right? I think we're all annoyed by the uh, efforts to to secularize and monetize Christmas. But I am all about the the excess um, in, <laughs> in a godly way. But like the the feasting, the celebrating, like if there's if there's ever a time that we should not be afraid to go over the top in expressing joy and worship and exuberance, it's over the incarnation of God in human flesh, right? right? But the question that we kind of set this up at the beginning with Scott has to do with the incarnation. Um, here's a word. You tell me if you've heard this, okay? Here, okay, I'm, re- I'm ready. Kind of a buzzword, incarnational. Um, the word for the that, day that would be is kind of incarnational. The, the word of the day is incarnational. 
And um, I'm pretty sure if you were to type that in Microsoft Word, you'd get red squiggly lines underneath of it. You know, it's one of those kind of you know, like gospel centered um, mm-hmm. or uh, I don't know, pick, pick your Christian buzzword, right? It, it, it only has meaning within our contexts. Uh, but it's this word used to describe the way that ministry should be done. And there's a growing movement to look at the incarnation of Christ, not just as this unique, unrepeatable act of God becoming flesh, um, but also as something that's kind of a blueprint for Christians. And I think there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, But you're preaching through several passages relating to Christmas right now at your church. Uh, I'm curious for you, how are you treating the topic of the incarnation, knowing that, and this is something we've talked about on the show even lately, knowing that the average evangelical in the pew doesn't necessarily have a strong idea of what the incarnation is and and what the two natures of Christ are and the the hypostatic union and all these things about our theology of uh, our theology proper about the nature of God, about our Christology, who Christ is. How do you talk about the incarnation this time of year and instill some of those foundational truths first and foremost? That's a, that's a great question. It, it is something that comes up a lot in the mission world. We hear that a lot about this is the nature of incarnational ministry. And I think when people say that, um, I'm glad you brought up the hypostatic union and I'm glad you brought up the dual natures of Christ because, you know, there is a sense, there is a, there is a, I don't want to say a sense that I don't want, I got to be careful with my words when you're talking about theology, right? But um, Christ is fully God. And in the sense that he's fully God, um, the incarnation can't be repeated by us, right? The sense right. of God putting on human flesh and dwelling among us is not a repeatable event by missionaries. Um, that, that happened one time, and it's only going to happen one time, where uh, that is a unique event in, in redemptive history. And we to talk about that could bring up ideas of like, does the missionary, you know, does he, is he godlike in that sense, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's nothing similar at all to an American moving to Papua New Guinea and learning pigeon and living in a tribal setting like that, that isn't incarnational in that sense, because, you know, there, there's such a huge gulf between what God did in coming in the human flesh and what I'm doing and maybe in learning a new Mm -hmm. language. It's not, they're not, they're not even similar, but There is that sense in that uh, the Christ is also fully human, right? And uh, and so you know maybe in that maybe incarnational it would be is a tricky word um, to use for this, but there is a sense in which like it's 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 interesting as I'm as we've been preaching through this Advent series where we're kind of focusing on the places of the incarnation and the places of Advent um, and, and looking at at these locations that are part of the Christmas story. So the first sermon was on Egypt and um, where he's, you know, and especially focusing on that passage out of Egypt, I've, I called my son, which is a really interesting passage. Um, the, uh, you know, the idea of like Nazareth and, and bringing out, you know, why is this family of the, of the, of the line of David living in like a, a city, you know, a tiny little village on a hill that isn't ever even mentioned in the Old Testament, you know, um, and, and how could, how could Jesus fulfill that passage? He should be called a Nazarene because that, mm-hmm. that, that phrase never occurs in the Old Testament, you know, it's, um, and, um, and, you know, how do you, and then, that? What's you that? Throw that out? How, do, how do you answer that as you're preaching through that? 
uh, well, this isn't part of this topic, but what I, what I understood it, (laughs) what, what I understood it to mean is, is, uh, is understanding like that, uh, Nazareth, uh, has a, has he connection to the Hebrew word for branch and that most likely, and this is what at least some scholars, uh, think is that, is that after the exile, uh, followers, you know, the, the, uh, descendants of, of, of David who kept the promises that God was going to raise up a root from the tribe of Jesse, um, kept and believing that God was actually going to keep that promise and raise up a King, even after the exile and after they were sent away and after they were brought back. And then when they established the little village of Nazareth, they had that mentality of we, we are the branch and we believe the promises of God are true. And, uh, and, and yet, you know, Nazareth was treated with, you know, kind of disdain as we kind of saw from Nathaniel's like this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of a place of that whole era area was a place of like turmoil and unrest. And, and, you know, at one point, something like 2000 Jews were crucified because of an, because of a revolt during the, during Jesus's lifetime as a young, young boy. And so, yeah, Nazareth wasn't considered like a place that good things happened out of, but those descendants of, of, of David believe the promises of God. Um, so that's a little off topic, but, but also not, you know, in the sense that right. I think there is a sense in which Jesus um, isn't just God incarnate, but is also fulfilling the promises that were made to Israel and uh, fulfilling. And, and in some ways he's a personification. Um, he is the fulfillment of, of these, these promises that were made when, when it says out of Egypt, have I called my son talking about Israel um, and it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so there is a sense in which Jesus um, functions, not just as God uh, come in the flesh, but also as um, the perfect human restoring humanity and uh, the perfect Israel restoring um, the yep. promises of Israel. And, and I realize you know, not everyone's going to listen to this and agree with, you know, with my theological take on this, but there is a, there is a sense, even what we talked about with, with the fill the earth uh, a few episodes ago where, uh, yes, where, where Jesus is, is, is restoring that original mandate that the glory of God would be seen throughout the earth through Jesus and then his, his, his body, the, the church, the people of God. And so I think in that sense, we can say that our ministry is incarnational in the sense that we are modeling Jesus. We're living out uh, what Jesus has called us to do because, you know, it, in, uh, in first Corinthians, um, it, it talks about us being, um, or I'm sorry, second Corinthians, it talks about us, us being ambassadors for Christ. And so, um, I, you know, I think we, we take that mentality and we understand that we are, ambassadors for Christ spreading the fragrance of God and, uh, and of his, his good, good news. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Alex, what do you take to, what do you, how is it, how do you respond to what I just said? And, and do you have any takes that you would disagree with or anything you want to build off that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that you said. And, and I think one of the challenges is that we as evangelicals tend to take for granted our doctrine of God and our Christology as well. Uh, we tend to focus much more on issues like justification by faith, right? And where do I go when I die? And how can I get to heaven when I die? And and within our own evangelical subculture anyway, um, we don't always feel as though there are a lot of people uh, f- trying to fight us on the Trinity or trying to fight us on the the nature of Christ. And so we 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 get used to not having to defend Christian orthodoxy on those fronts. And yet those are fronts on which we do have to be ready to fight and be prepared to give an answer 
So I, I do get a little nervous when people throw around words like incarnational um, that that sound, you know, really smart and intelligent. Like you have to have, you know, three letters after your name to understand it. And, you know, wow. Oh, yeah. Incarnational. I, I, I just get a little nervous when we use that instead of saying what we mean, which is something that I, I think we can get into a little bit later. What is what does that really mean? And so I think at the very least we need to be on the foundation of understanding who Christ is. So hang on with me. I just want to read for a minute or two from the Chalcedonian Creed, the the, the definition ad- adopted by the Council uh, of, of Chalcedon in 451 AD. So this is in response to controversies that were happening at the time between the East and the West. And this is what they said this is an English translation. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip through a, f- a, a few parts. Uh, they say that our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man of a reasonable or, or rational soul and body, consubstantial. So that means he, he shares the same substance or same mm-hmm. essence with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us. So shares the same essence and nature with humanity according to the manhood in all things like unto us without sin begotten before all uh, begotten before all ages of the father according to the godhead and in these latter days for us and for our salvation born of the virgin mary the mother of god according to the manhood one and the same christ son lord only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures inconfusedly unchangeably indivisibly inseparably the distinction of natures by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one in the same son, the only begotten God, the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on from there. But the bottom line is there's a human nature and it's a real human nature. It's the same human nature that we have. There's the divine nature, which is the same divine nature possessed by the father, by the Holy spirit, Christ is one person, but possesses these two natures. We're not going to conflate those two. We're not going to mix them. He's not 50, 50. He's not any of these things. And the problem that happens with discussions of the Trinity. So shifting from Christ alone to, to talking about the Trinity the problem that happens with the Trinity is anytime you try to apply an analogy to it, you immediately end up in heresy, right? Right. You know, the, while the Trinity is kind of like the, the three forms of water. Well, no, that's Sabellianism or, or modalism, just for an example. The same thing happens to us, I think, with Christ when we don't understand that the incarnation was an unrepeatable act. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was incredibly, it, it, it was in its very essence and nature, unique, unrepeatable, right? There, there's nothing that you can compare it to. The eternal God uh, taking on a human nature, not losing his deity, um, but at the same time taking on a real human nature, um, capable of hunger, capable of thirst, capable of dying, as we see in the Gospels. And I think that needs to be our foundation. Uh, it, it's useless to talk about being incarnational in our ministry until we've understand uh, understood who Christ is. And w- we should just dwell upon that, uh, the the audacity of God to condescend down to our level. But Going from there then, because that's true, because the Son of God condescended into human flesh and suffered, died, rose again on the third day, rules the universe, offers salvation to anyone who repents and believes in him. And because of that, I do want to talk about what it actually means 
to then go and try and be incarnational. So I do want to revisit that topic. Does that sound good, Scott? Let's do it. All right. Well, we'll do that right after this quick break. Cross Conference 2020 is coming. This December, gather a group of 18 to 25 year olds in your living room or church auditorium and join the Cross 20 live stream. Your group will hear from David Platt, Trip Lee, John Piper, and others as they aim to emphasize the clarity of the gospel, the centrality of the local church, and God's heart for the nations. Registration is just $10 per person. You can learn more and register at cross20.com. Learn more again and register at cross20.com. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child protection and abuse prevention. They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. And this June, attend the National Conference. Go to abuseprevention.org and register with ABWE21 as the promo code to receive 20% off your ticket. That's promo code ABWE21 to receive 20% off. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. I am here with Mark Dever, senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist and president of Nine Marks. When you go to a culture that's a different language than yours, you're ending up in a kind of majority language that's been reached. And there are other people still more hidden, and it's those people who are often almost entirely unreached, and they take more cross-cultural effort. Is there a way we can better train people to have more realistic expectations of what life is like in the kind of two steps away from my culture? and be able to sustain family life with its normal difficulties there so that there can be a long years and even decades long witness in that culture. And it seems like Radius is set up to provide that training. Radius is about reaching unreached people groups. Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. We're back with our Christmas episode of the Missions Podcast. And it's taking a whiff here of my gingerbread. Um, <clears throat> what is this? Grass-fed tallow local beeswax candle. These things burn, <laughs> these things burn hotter, by the way. Um, the beeswax candles do generate more heat. So, And, and speaking, of, speaking of buzzwords, I mean, that candle's got all the buzzwords in it. It'd be, it'd, it would work for a great evangelical uh, agency as well to just... To, Good, good example for us. How do we how do we fit in these buzzwords like incarnational? That's right. Local grass fed tallow, local wax, beeswax, buzzword, incarnational ministry. Well, Scott, on that note, yeah. Okay, somebody says we should do ministry in a way that's local fed. No, right. In a way that's incarnational. Okay. Um, and and let's just say that phrase is thrown out there. How do you interpret that? What what do you 
see that as meaning when people will throw that around in our circles. Yeah. And I, I think that when people say that they're, they're actually onto something really important and good in that, um, there is a, there is the, the sense. And I think that even, even the fact that the Bible spends time talking about the places of ministry and, you know, Christ, Christ was, was, was shaped and formed and, and his, his personhood, you know, his human personhood was developed in, in ways that you and I are often are right. Like the places where he, you, you are a product of having lived in Philly and the suburbs of Philly and York. Uh, I'm a product of having grown up in Wisconsin and then lived in Michigan and Asia and all these efforts, those, those form us. Right. And those are the places where the, the ministry that we leave behind are in those places, right? Like, you know, the, the young, the young man that you, you know, share the gospel with, you know, is in a place. Uh, he spoke a certain language. And I think yeah. that's what people mean when they say, um, uh, you know, I forget the Max Lucado, uh, the, you know, the, the Max Lucado phrase, but he's got all these little like pithy phrases. Like, can you imagine, you know, Jesus eating your soup? Well, it, it, it brings the humanity of Jesus to us in a way of like, whoa, yeah. Like Jesus, Jesus, uh, you know, played whatever games little Jewish boys played in the town of Nazareth. And he probably stubbed his toe on the, the tree stump that, you know, for generations, little boys had stubbed their toes on. And he was part of that, you know? Uh, yeah. And so when we say, you know, he took on flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld him. I, I think that there is something that missionaries should learn from that in the sense of we need to be present in the places where we are and that we represent Christ. We don't, we don't put on godness and come and, and have, and God dwells with people, but we do represent God and we do represent Jesus and we do represent the gospel in real places. Jesus spoke Aramaic and probably Hebrew and Greek. Um, and, and he spoke the language there and it was very natural to him. And, and we, we don't, we need to be careful that we don't get into what sometimes has happened in Christian history where there's like this, you know, I, there's probably a really formal word, but, you know, kind of this, you know, neo-Gnosticism where, where like we're on a spiritual plane and we're just, you know, pull, trying to pull people up into that and not dealing with the nitty gritty of life. And I think that's what missionaries are talking about when they say incarnational ministry. And we do need to make sure that we're doing that. We need to be in the places where we live and know those places and know the people of those places um, and minister in that way. What, is that, is that what you're thinking too? I agree. I, I think there's this, there, there's two things going on here. The first is this Gnostic notion. And the word Gnostic gets thrown around in a very non-technical way. What I mean by Gnostic is this tendency to think the physical, the material is bad, is inherently right. fallen and, and corrupt. And the spiritual is the only thing that's good and it's ethereal. It's wispy. It's, it's less real. It's, it's yeah, less. I, I heard to interrupt you for a second. I mean, I heard a very prominent evangelical pastor. If I said his name, most of our listeners would have heard him have his books on their shelves and, and cheer him on say something to the effect of, we know that this life doesn't really matter. And you're like, no. what? What is Wait a second. That is so like anti-Christian in the way it, it yeah. views this life. This life really is important and really does matter. The physical yeah. stuff does matter. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. And we live in an era where I think we're incentivized to think Gnostically about mm. these things. I'm actually yeah. halfway through with my wife watching the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Uh, which, which goes into uh, all your friends and neighbors, Scott, the people in Sin Silicon Valley. Uh, but the, but the issues there of how these algorithms are driving our lives and, and plunging us into this world that's virtual and, 
And um, it's a really fascinating documentary. I haven't watched it all the way through yet, so I can't technically recommend it, but it's, it's certainly worth watching so far from what I've seen. Um, the point being, with technology, with everything that we have around us, it's very easy to not live life in a way that's embodied. And the Christian faith comes in and says, no, the material universe is good. Um, the, the physical uh, material aspects of Christmas are good. Um, yes, it's about the birth of Christ. You can also enjoy eggnog and um, partying with your family at your house and, and you know, fireplaces and, and whatever other beeswax candles, you know, you, you choose to enjoy at Christmas time. The material is good. It's redeemed by Christ. Um, so I, I totally agree. I, I think that the way that we do ministry, uh, yes, it's about proclaiming the gospel, but it's a gospel that touches on all of life. We're not trying to just wisp people off into heaven. And so to be incarnational, it means to care for the poor, mm. means to care for the hurting and the, the dying. It means to, mm. to care for what's happening in society. It means to um, engage in, in visitation and to care for the least of these. I mean, these are things that I, I think we just... We tend to overlook because we're we're so afraid of the social gospel. I, I think it's it's easy to forget that you know Paul in his gospel preaching, uh, you know that the, the the disciples in Jerusalem said to him like, well, as long as you tend to the poor, and he says, which thing I was eager to do um, in right. Galatians. And so yeah. I, I think that we need to be embodied and we need to be present in our, our physical locations um, and really present wherever we are. Right, that Jim Elliot quote: "Wherever you are, yeah. be all there." The other yeah. thing that I think is going on. In addition to the Gnostic element, though, uh, if I could just kind of zoom out from for a second, I think we need to do more than just be incarnational. And if I could pick a better word for incarnational, you know, I, I wish we could just talk about Christian ministry or, hmm. or maybe just ministry with humility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because what incarnational tends to do is, you know, I, I cannot, uh, I'm already incarnate. Uh, I am enfleshed. I'll actually always be enfleshed. Mm -hmm. The idea that I'm not enfleshed and I have to go and enflesh myself to yeah. contextualize, to, to minister to people around me is not accurate. I, I am enfleshed already. Um, I think what we're talking about is just what Paul describes in Philippians 2 of having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He goes on from there. He's exalted at the right hand of the father. And he says, therefore, and he describes how you should work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, Christian service, humility, ministry, unity, the things that he talks about in Philippians 2 are applications of this principle of humbling. Um, it's it's not incarnating that we can't do that it's so much as it is it's it's humbling. We can imitate mm -hmm. the incarnation insofar as we humble ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. But but I, I think it goes beyond that. The incarnation, it, what what makes it amazing, and, and I'd love for you to push back on this if you want to. I, I don't know, um, but a, a good book that I would recommend on this, if if, if you're somebody that's into reading old classics and if you're into um, church history, um, Saint Athanasius or Athanasius uh, wrote on the incarnation. Mm. And, uh, and in that book, which you could, you could read in, in one sitting. Oh yeah. Really and the English good. translation is very easy to understand. Honestly, it's, it's less esoteric than a lot of the uh, theological scholarship nowadays. And one of the things that he says is really likely to be misunderstood. Athanasius says, for the son of God became man so that we might become God. Now that, that sounds like straight out of the serpent's lips of Eden, right? Like that, that sounds completely wrong. 
he's not saying that we become God in, in the sense that we replace him or even that we become deities or anything. This isn't Mormonism, right? You don't, you don't get your own planet, th- mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Um, but he's describing what, what Peter in the New Testament calls it partaking in the divine nature that we get to share in relationship with God, that we get to share in his attributes of, of holiness, of, of love and purity that, that he imparts to us um, through the Holy Spirit, that we get caught up in, uh, into the life of God. So that what makes the incarnation such a big deal is not just that God came low, but that he also ascends back into heaven and he invites us to partake of God with him and to join the family of the Trinity and to be related to God as a son, a lowercase s son, not an mm. uppercase s son like he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he became enfleshed so that we could be right with God sitting with him, you know, on his throne um, in, in some of these almost blasphemous sounding ways that Ephesians talks about it. But, uh, you know, reigning with Christ. I mean, what, what is that? Um, it, right. it sounds blasphemous and we, we can barely wrap our minds around it. And yet the, the heights of which the heights of the glory that he raises us to you know, are just as astounding as, as how far low he came in the incarnation. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Man, I think that's really important for us to understand and that, you know, we are flesh, <laughs> you know, we are carnate. Um, it, you know, we, we are, yep. we are uh, physical, spiritual beings from the very creation. It's not that it's, it, our, our flesh wasn't because of the fall. Our flesh preceded the fall, but Jesus, um, was, is it, God is spirit. And, and the son took on flesh to become part of us, to redeem us. So I, I think that's important for us to understand, you know, that our flesh isn't bad, um, in it, in and of itself. I mean, hum, the human side, the, the physical side of us, um, but, our fleshly nature, our fallen nature, you know, is obviously something, something different. And so when we do ministry, we are doing ministry as real people. Um, and, and we are doing ministry to real people with, with spirits, but also with flesh. Um, but we're following the example of Christ who humbled himself, like you just said, took on flesh and, and, and dwelt among us. And, and, and so we can, we can model our ministry after Jesus because he gave us that example and set that example for us. So I, as we go into this Christmas season, I hope that our, our listeners are, are going to be able to tell great stories. And I, you know, we say Christmas is over. I think in my mind, Christmas begins uh, December 25th and ends last for 12 days. So uh, we're just beginning the celebration and the ways of serving and, and living out that, that, uh, that gospel message. And, and I hope that our missionaries will have great examples of not just declaring the spiritual side of, of Christmas, but the, the physical reality of how we bring salvation to bear in this fallen world. Amen. And we need to do ministry in a way that's humble, modeling the incarnation, but we also can't do that unless we're thankful first, right? Unless we worship and oh, reflect man. on what Christ has done. So have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Missions Podcast. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com. Also email me, alex at missionspodcast.com with your questions, your thoughts. Make sure you smash the subscribe button. Make sure that you like and share this episode to get it in front of more people. And until next year, thank you for listening. Have you ever been approached by a student expressing a missionary call? For the last 15 years, Spurgeon College's Fusion program has been equipping students for missions through life-on-life discipleship, college coursework, and intensely practical training. 
If you know a student desiring to become a missionary, send them to Fusion at Spurgeon College as their next step. To learn more about how we are equipping students for a lifetime, visit SpurgeonCollege.com fusion.